You are listening to the Coming Up for Air podcast hosted by Air Moms Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. This podcast is sponsored by alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air brings together two wonderful people, both of whose adult sons are in recovery from opiate addiction. Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall have been through years of their loved one's active addiction. They have come to understand the direct link between taking care of yourself and being able to help your loved one. During these conversations, Lori and Annie address the questions and concerns brought up by Allies and Recovery members. And now, Coming Up for Air with Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. Hi, we're back at Coming Up for Air. This is Laurie McDougall. Um, we're back after all of our holidays and getting ready for the new year. Today's topic we're going to be talking about is feeling sorry and all of the reactions and emotions involved with possibly feeling sorry for your loved one suffering with substance use disorder or SUD. And I'd like to uh, say hello to my co-host, Annie. Annie, how are you? Hi, good. How are you? I'm excited to be back. It's been a busy flurry of days with family and busyness and holidays, so I'm a little scatterbrained, so bear with me, but good to be back with everyone. Yep, very good to be back, and yes, me too. I'm feeling very scatterbrained today. (laughs) It's a great way to put it. Um, Okay, so I went and looked up feelings, and I got a ton of different definitions for it, but the only one that came even uh, close to being what I would consider understandable was the emotional state or reaction. When I read that, I kind of, I did a lot of thinking about it and I'm still not satisfied with that definition. Like I'm really struggling. Uh, And this is a definition for feelings. Okay. Yep. Yep. So I'm really, I'm still kind of stuck in this, this space of, well, what are feelings exactly? So yeah. I kind of, right? I mean, really, what are feelings? Feelings are... I perceive them as energy and reactions and um, sometimes impact of something. And they're not always something you can control. You definitely can't predict them. The only thing that you can control about them is acting on them or setting up safety for yourself to where you won't put yourself at risk for certain feelings. Right. I see them as kind of different types of energy. Right. I, you know, it's interesting because I used to see feelings as like this very non-tangible type thing. You know, they're kind of abstract. They're kind of just out there. Um, And I still kind of believe that that's true because I think that, you know, the saying that people will say, separating like the heart and the brain, Mm -hmm. right? That emotions are felt in our heart versus in our brain. And I think taking some of the neurobiological classes that I've taken is I learned that actually our feelings are rooted in our brain and they're actually not, you may feel things in your heart, but everything, that's a signal from your brain. Mm-hmm. So, you, know, you know, so for me, it always comes down to this, this very logical thought process. So feelings for me are still also a very logical thing and a very biological thing. It's something that, like you said, you can't predict feelings and you, many times you don't know when they're coming. 
right? And I think many times we can struggle to define exactly what feelings we are feeling. And I also think that feelings can be very enmeshed, meaning you can have multiple feelings at the same time and they kind of get bundled all up together. And I also agree mm-hmm. with you in that I don't think we can necessarily control our initial feelings. The only thing we can really control is how we react to our feelings. Right. And also, I think we have... The decisions we make from them. Right. And I also think that we can we can change our feelings over time, that we can respond in particular ways and change how we're feeling. Does that make sense? I had a, I, it does. I had a therapist show me a picture one time of, a th- I believe it was a teeter-totter. And in the middle of it was the word wisdom. And on one side was emotion and on the other side was logic. And she said, when you're the, you know, when your personality tends to be logic only, you can be cold, you know, heartless, perceived as unfeeling, somewhat digital. And when you're at the opposite end of that and you're always emotional, that's a little bit out of control as well. And you can be hot-headed and overly fearful and depressed and things like that. So she talked about how balance between logic and emotion puts wisdom in the middle. She always showed me that picture. And I remember thinking, okay, so when emotions arise, logic has to come in and bring, there has to be the balance. Right. And I am also a firm believer that our reactions are out of our feelings. So in other words, what I mean by that is we feel something and so we react. So when I hear people say, you know, telling one another to not be so emotional or you shouldn't respond to your feelings, that's what I think they're talking about. I think they're talking about kind of like what you were talking about, that teeter-totter and having this Mm -hmm. balancing act where, okay, I've had this feeling and instead of responding, I'm going to stop, I'm going to pause, I'm going to think for a while, I'm going to do something logical and find a good response to those feelings. When people say so-and-so is really emotional or I get very emotional about this, it seems that people are relating that to crying or getting teary-eyed and emotion. There's a big vast array of that. But um, particularly when it comes to feeling sorry for someone, I, I really had to learn a lot just through trial and error and experience with that when it came to dealing with people in my family who were suffering and struggling with addiction and all the behavior that produced because you can tend to feel sorry for them. There's a lot of reasons to, and sometimes they can manipulate you feeling sorry for them or try to maybe have a sales pitch. So you will feel sorry for them, you know, like with an agenda and and lots of problems and areas that they have need. So that can be a pretty wide array of situations to deal with. I, I agree. I don't know. I think that I do. Uh, and we, you and I have kind of talked about this a little bit, so I don't want to stumble around this a little bit. But I do feel sorry for my loved one that suffers with substance use disorder. And I do feel sorry for a lot of people that are stuck in this disease. That doesn't mean that I think I should react to my loved one based on those feelings. I almost have to put those feelings aside. I still have to respond in a way that's positive, no matter right. how, right? No matter how, and, and I do, I, I honestly do. I feel sorry for my, for my son who, who has SUD because of, because of a whole host of things. I feel sorry that he has had to struggle with mental illness. I feel sorry that learning and doing these things is 
in my observation, 10 times harder for him than an average right. person, right? I feel sorry for the people that I hear that have substance use disorder, and I hear these horrific, horrific stories. I feel sorry that they had to go through that, and then on top of it, they now have addiction, and they have to learn how to deal with this. But having said that, does that mean that I feel I should respond differently, or I should give in to them, or I should give in to my feelings, or I don't. I, I don't believe that, and, and it's almost out of feeling badly for the for the other person that I feel like I almost have to be stronger because I want to help them to get out of that situation. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I had actually gone to see um, a therapist for a period of time because I kept finding myself in situations where I was manipulated and taken advantage of, and it wasn't necessarily issues with somebody that had an addiction. It was just kind of somebody that was manipulative and taken on the take for me and it kept happening and I kept falling for it and believing it and there would be a need presented and then you know so she broke down what compassion meant which was you know sympathetic consciousness of someone's distress and that sympathy was feelings of pity and sorrow for someone else's misfortune and then that empathy actually is the ability to understand and share feelings with another person and she talked about how when you have passion mixed in with your compassion and it causes you to put in effort that maybe you're not supposed to do and it's outside of your realm of responsibility or it's something somebody else is supposed to do whether they are manipulating you to do it for them or not she would always tell me that the action I took is what ended up getting me back in that same pit over and over again because I would find myself forgiving situations where I knew I was clearly taken advantage of and often it was with money I would loan large sums of money and then find out that it, this wasn't from an addicted family member. This is from a, a friend that did it probably six times. It wasn't used on what I was told it was going to be used on, or I would be told that I was going to be paid back and then it wouldn't come back. And which would have been fine because you know to write those things off. But at one point, a, they, this person had received a large insurance settlement and could have easily paid. I'd help them get a car and do all of these things for them. Didn't even tell me they got the insurance settlement and didn't offer to even pay me a payment back. And it had gone on so many times that I was just frustrated and hating and resenting myself for it. So I went in to talk to her about how do I keep ending up in this same pit? And she had talked to me about how the people were kind of working me to feel sorry for them and working my sympathy and it was being used against me and that when I would put action with my sympathy, that's when I would get taken over and over again and I wasn't applying wisdom. So I started kind of working through all of that to apply wisdom that I can have compassion and empathy, but it doesn't mean I step in and take care of someone else's responsibilities and especially not six or seven times when I've been burnt. Right. You know, that's just foolish. And it, it burned me so many times that I was finally like, okay, I see this coming. What am I doing? Right. And in some ways, like I take responsibility for, you know, when that happens to me, I'm like, I'm the one I, yeah, right. I fell for it once. I felt, you know, it's kind of like the, the word assume, you know? Yeah. Before we go on, successful intervention strategies to help a loved one deal with his or her substance use are often counterintuitive. Our sponsor, alliesinrecovery.net, offers suggestions that have been proven effective in getting loved ones into treatment and helping them stay there while reducing the stress, blame, and guilt we so often feel. I encourage listeners to join alliesinrecovery.net today. Now back to the show. 
But you know, it's really funny. I'm, I decided to start working the steps um, just because I want to know all sides of recovery and I want to I, I use every tool of self-care and wellness. So I started really working them and I'd gotten to step four. And that is where you take a personal inventory and you come up with a resentment list. And I'd started listing, thing, listing these situations where I'd been taken advantage of. And now certainly I'm no martyr. I haven't behaved. It's not, oh, I'm some Mother Teresa that gives all the time. But there's been a, clearly a couple of patterns in my life of that. And in working through them, you always come back to the fact that no matter who did what or said what or took advantage for what, it always still comes back to me. Right. You know, I'm still, if I'm pouring out or getting taken advantage of over and over, what did I not see? What right. was I hoping to get from it? You know, what was I hoping my help would do? Why did I fall for it again and again? Was I trying to appease this person in order to keep peace or to be liked or right. to be useful and needed? What It always comes back to me. It has right. to always come back to my ownership and my inventory. Even if I resent how someone else clearly took advantage, it still has to come back to me. Right. And that's, I, I agree with you. I just wrote a whole piece kind of on this, on this type of thing. And I just, I was just talking to someone the other day about how when we're dealing with substance use disorder, I hear a lot of people say, well, he's trying to manipulate me and he's trying to lie to me. And he's, you know, he's always doing this and he's always doing that. And they're, they're kind of in the depths and despair. And I totally get it. And I really, you know, I, I know we can't, you kind of can't force them out of that. You got to kind of gently lead. But really, it always comes back to if they are manipulating you, why are you letting them manipulate you? And I have found that if I always, if I always try and focus on my own values and my own ethics and what would I do and what do I think is right and wrong, and I just focus on that, then I'll keep myself safe, right? So what I mean by that is like if my if my son comes to me and I know he's trying to manipulate me, he's trying to get money out of me, and deep down I have that sick feeling in my stomach that he is manipulating me right now, then I always go back and hold to, okay, if he's manipulating me, then do I really want to be manipulated? And can I, can I stop this manipulation, right? So it really does come down to me. If I go ahead and reward his manipulation by giving in to what he wants, then aren't I treating him to just go ahead and come back and manipulate me the next time he wants something versus if I don't give in to yeah. the manipulation, right? And if I ask myself, what is it that I'm trying to avoid? Am I trying to avoid right now that fight? And that battle of, no, I'm not going to give in to this manipulation, which, which then, of course, means more chaos and more frustration and more anger. Or am I going to give in to it? And, I'm, and, and really, all I'm doing is delaying. I'm allowing him to manipulate me so that he can manipulate me again another time. And I'm going to have to make the decision another time. Do I want to stop the manipulation now? Or am I going to allow yeah. him to continue? So for me, it was always... And it is now, I, I find that I still follow these rules for myself or these, I find these boundaries for myself, even now, even outside of addiction, even dealing with other things, I ask myself, do I want to be manipulated now? And do I want to confront it right now and, and set up that boundary that's going to keep myself safe without any expectation of behavior of the other person, right? Yeah. Or am I going to allow them to go ahead and manipulate me? Because chances are, 
I've learned to kind of trust my stomach, my gut feeling a lot more in that, okay, if I think I'm being manipulated, I probably am. Yeah. Right. And so truth rings true. Right. And I just, I just stop it. I stop it right there. And it doesn't have to be some huge explanation, you know, just, no, I can't do that. (laughs) You know? Yeah. You know, my dad would always tell me about, right. You don't have to go into it and defend and explain and take those hooks. My dad used to talk to me a lot about not feeling sorry for myself because, and you know, I wrote about a lot of that in my book. I, I was small growing up and I was always sick and we had nothing and it was embarrassing often. And he would always really get on me about how toxic it was if I felt sorry for myself and how much worse other people had it. So that was really so ingrained in me that if I don't feel sorry for myself, I have a hard, even harder time feeling sorry for anyone else. And then I have, you know, another side to my family who tends to take that victim position and they go, so to speak, overboard when it comes to kind of enabling to a crippling degree where it's kind of, you know, stripped the manhood from people in my family. And I always catch them saying, you know, when they when they tell some new incident that's come up in the family, it's always like, oh, you know, poor Johnny. And, you know, oh, poor Susie. They always put the word poor in front of their name. Oh, she's having such a tough time. Poor. And it would, it's one thing if it's, you know, occasional, but it is every time there's a problem. It's this poor person. They shouldn't have to work so hard. They're working so many hours. Oh, they had the flu again. And, you know, I don't sit around and look for all those things to feel sorry for about me. You know what I mean? Like that tends to drain my energy to hear the, oh, poor you type deal. Right, right. I really didn't want to raise my son up in that. And especially not if we know when somebody's in active use and they are desperate for money, which is what they need, sympathy is used as a currency. What can I get you to feel sorry for that so that you can solve this problem so I can get what I need? You know, I've, I've had to be hyper aware of that just because on one side, I come from a family deeply, deeply sick with that. Right. Yeah. And I totally, I hear what you're saying and, and I agree with you. It's, it's funny. I, I don't really, I've never felt when my son was trying to manipulate me and trying to get something out of me, I never felt sorry for him in, in that way. Right. I always felt like, you know what? I gave him a good life. I, I, yeah. I gave him. And yes, things happened that were out of my control and things. And, he, and I do have empathy and I have sympathy for the fact that he, str- he struggles with mental illness. I do. I, I totally get that. But I also knew I had to have enough strength in me to say I'm not, you know, I'm not going to fall for that. And, and I'm not going to allow him to take the victim stance. Because I also feel that the opposite of kind of enabling that victim kind of stance is also empowering them in the other direction. So my thing is, is if I'm not... If I'm not right enabling this victim stance, then I'm also empowering him and kind of telling him, you can get better. You can do better. Yeah. Than you know, you can go without the $40 to go down and, and talk to your drug dealer. Or yeah. Whatever, whatever it was that he was trying to manipulate, yeah. you know. That was what the therapist had asked me. Ask yourself, what does feeling sorry for someone lead me to do? What's the next step? Oh, I feel so bad because somebody needs money or they're out sick and they don't have anywhere to stay or they have the flu or they have a hard job, whatever the case may be. But what is it leading you to do? And that is where you can identify healthy or unhealthy points. 
What's right. it leading me to do? Is it right. leading me to, you know, do a job for somebody that they can do, pay, pay a bill for somebody that they should pay, put up with more than I should? What's it leading me to do? Right. Because compassion and sympathy don't have to be active. Yes. Right. And is it hurting me? I mean, really, that's the ultimate, the ultimate truth of it is it's not only hurting the other person, but it's hurting you if you're giving in to your empathetic and compassionate nature and, and doing things that you wouldn't normally do, right? You're not sticking to your own values and morals. Right. And sometimes I'm signing away life savings that I'm not holding on to for later because somebody else comes to me with a major need that, you know what I mean? I got yep. caught in a lot of those situations. Yep. I finally came up with the rule and I'd heard of this phrase before that we are meant to bear one another's burdens, but shoulder your own load. So I can bear somebody's burden. I can go sit and give them compassion and company and take food over and help in a pinch, but I'm not going to shoulder the load of an adult. I'm not going to carry another adult and take over their responsibilities unless there's a deep disaster and crisis. And that's kind of how I started learning to, to tell the difference and not end up in those situations where I was taken advantage of and finding myself robbed of things or giving away things to people that really didn't deserve them. Right. Because that pattern repeated so many times in my life, even before SUD entered the situation. And then once it did, you know, that's just a part of it. Right. You know, I also look at it this way as uh, kind of when you're dealing with substance use disorder, you want to make their world options smaller and smaller and smaller so that they come to the conclusion that the manipulation and the chaos and all of that isn't paying off. Right. It's not working. Right. Right? It's not working. So what are you going to do? What's the root cause of all of these problems that you're having? You know, why can't you find any, why won't anybody let you come and live with them? You know, why are your only options now limited to shelters, treatment facilities, sober homes? Could it, why did you lose your job and now you don't have any money and you can't seem to get any money out of anybody? If I'm, you know, my thing is if I'm narrowing that world and he, at some point he's going to have to look at it and he's going to have to say, oh, maybe it's the drugs, <laughs> right? Maybe it's this that's, that's keeping me from being able to function as a human being. At the same time, being compassionate, like you were talking about, you know, carrying the burden, right? Being there to keep that open line of communication, to say, I know this is a struggle. You're not in this alone. I'm here for you. And let's just take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by CCSHM, the Community Coalition for a Safe and Healthy Morris, whose mission is to prevent and reduce substance use throughout the lifespan through collaboration, education, and community-wide change. CCSHM partners with CARES, the Center for Addiction Recovery, Education, and Success, to bring prevention and recovery services to communities throughout Morris County and New Jersey. CCSHM and CARES are projects of Morris County Prevention is Key. Go to safehealthymorris.org or caresnj.org or call 973-625-1998. I'm your corner coach. I'll be there in a moment, but I'm not going to shoulder this load for you. I can't make the decisions for you. I can't choose sobriety for you. I can't, you know, say yes for you. I can't say no for you. You have to shoulder your load, but I'll bear your burden with you. Right. Exactly. I'm right here. I'm right here. Yeah. 
And that was what I, that was kind of how I had to turn off loaning large sums of money to people who, it really got me in a lot of financial trouble because I would give away, I guess I, um, it was early on when I did well in my job and I was like, people tended to come out of the word work at the time and, oh, our air conditioning went out. And I would just think, well, if I have it, I should give it because that's what a nice person would do. And if I don't give it and I have it, that means I'm selfish. So I would really just get taken left and right and loan money out. And it was just a small group of people, but it was over and over. And finally, I was like, I'm taking better care of everyone else than I even am myself. Right. And once you loan it out to that person, they come back again and again yeah. and again, right? Yeah. We, we actually, um, not me, but my husband is in this situation right now where he keeps loaning out money to this individual and I kind of am like okay but eventually what's going to happen is you're not going to get paid back and I'm hoping that (laughs) maybe my husband you know at that point will be like okay I can't yeah yeah my situation ended up really weird because you know I come from a weird uh church type of background. So it was somebody that was still involved in that. So when, you know, I'd loaned out thousands of dollars and, and really I was kind of like, are you ever going to kind of, you know, pay that back because you're still asking to borrow. And then I had found out that they had received a large insurance settlement because they were went on these spending sprees. Well, when I confronted it and said, you know, you didn't, not only did you not say you got this large sum of money, you didn't even offer to pay me back, you know, not even 20 bucks out of all this money. The situation, they turned on me as if, well, you had it. Why are you being selfish? We've never had it before. And then they post us, I mean, not to get too personal, but they posted a status on Facebook that talked about how if somebody loves God. They know how to give a, be a generous giver and a good friend. And I was like, oh my goodness, all I did was like help you and fall for your nonsense and give to you and ask for like a portion of it back or even not even it back. But why didn't you offer to give it back? I can't right. even, you know, address it. And it turned out so sickening and hostile that I really needed to learn this lesson because it was going to keep burning me. And every time it burnt me, it got worse. Because the thing is, is if it was clearly a gift, you would have said it's a, it was a gift, right? And you don't have to pay me back. Right. Well, at one point I had a friend who, a therapist that was around the situation. She kind of would observe it and she'd say, why is it every time you go shopping with this person, you're the one buying? Or why is it every time this person comes over, they have a need? It's never just to Mm -hmm. spend time with you. So she said, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but I just want you to try this for me. Next time a need is presented, just say, I don't have it. What are you going to do? So I was, I mean, I was so blind and stupid. I kept saying, oh, no, no, no. It's just, you're, this is a coincidence. It's just, that's what friends do for each other. Well, the next time this person had come over, there was a need. You know, my husband has to miss work and we have school clothes that we need to buy for the kids. I mean, I was so stupid about this. And I had said to her, well, what are you going to do about it? Because I'm really kind of tapped out. And she was supposed to stay for a few hours and have dinner. Her whole face changed. And she said she had to go out to the car and make a phone call. I see her kind of gesturing and walking back and forth in the driveway. Came in and said she had a headache and ended up going back home to her husband. And I was just like, how? I mean, that was almost like a movie. It was so obvious and ridiculous. I was like, I felt so stupid. And then after that, I had found out they got the settlement. And then they said, you know, I was selfish and greedy for asking them to pay me back. So I was like, okay, this is, this is my own fault. This is clearly my right. own fault, but it was right. a great lesson to learn. Cause I won't I'm not saying that I won't give or lend money, but I won't be taken again and again and again. Right. But it's amazing. What, what I find amazing is that, and, and I've been in situations like that too. And I, you know, at the moment, did it start with feeling sorry for somebody? Cause they presented a need 
or what, where did it start and how did it repeat? I don't know if it, if I felt sorry a lot of the time. I think I felt empathetic towards them. And so I, I would give and give and give, but it's, it's just kind of like you, eventually I would get burnt. Yeah. And then I would be like, okay, you know, I'm done. And I'd have to readjust and relook at the situation. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm kind of letting it happen to myself, right? That I got to learn that, no, if I don't have something, I have learned now that if I'm going to give to somebody, I, and I, it could be something emotional, it could be a physical gift, it could be money. If I'm giving it to them, then I have no expectation of the behavior afterwards, yes. right? Does that make sense? And that if they don't do what I think they should do, then I can't have any bad feelings towards them because... I put that expectation on that gift, right? So now I have a different outlook. If I give something and I have an expectation of behavior afterwards, I make it clear when I give it to them that that's the expectation of the behavior. And if they don't follow through, then I won't give them whatever it is that they need in the future. Or if I didn't make it clear, then I blame myself. Then I, I'm just like, well, you're the one who, who offered it up and they didn't do what you expected of them. It's your fault, you know, so don't do that next time. So it's that burn me once, shame on, you know, you burn me twice, shame on me, but I needed to be burned 20 times until it was like, okay. And then I really traced it back to what was it that I was allowing myself to be manipulated. And I started realizing because I thought I would lose this friendship or I thought I would lose this relationship or I thought they would think I was selfish. I thought I had to, or it meant I was selfish, you know, and I don't know what it was that was once I started kind of succeeding in business and doing well, I come from nothing. And those that I had come from tended to think because I had it now, it was just meant to share it with them. But I was like working hard and doing all of these, you know, it's not community money, but they tended to think, well, if I have a need and you have it, you should just give it or you're selfish. So I kind right. of, I, I come from that and I had to battle my way out of that and really come across as being a mean, selfish person for a while while those boundaries were being enforced because, you know, people will hate your boundaries and they'll call you all kinds of abusive and selfish while you're trying to set them, even though it's right for everybody and it's healthier, people will hate it. And I went through a phase where I lost pretty much everyone because I set healthy boundaries. No, I think you're absolutely right, Annie. I think that we do it. And and I'm looking back because as you say, it's really a journey and it's a learning process, right? It's not something like we're born with, oh my God, I know how to set these great boundaries, right? It's a process that you have to go through. And it kind of stinks that, you know, I didn't get it until I was much older in life. You know, I wish I I got it, you know, maybe in my teens or something like that. But, um, but I think you're right. I think that I allowed those things to happen to me a lot of the time for uh, a lot of different types of reasons. I think yeah. I wanted to be liked. I liked the idea of taking care of somebody else. I like the idea of letting other people know that I do, I care so much about you. So I'm going to give this to you, right? 
And then I also think that I was afraid of losing friendships yeah, or relationships in general. And I think you're absolutely right that those are, if you really go back and look at it, those are the driving forces behind why we do what we do a lot of the time, right? And you think if you don't, you're selfish. It means you're right. selfish or you're and bad it, and they'll tell you that. Right. And it's not, it's not selfishness. It's actually no. self-care. It's taking it is. care. And that's healthy. Right. It's not it selfish. Healthy. It's healthy. Yeah. Right. And that right. was a, that was a very painful learning experience for me. And it seemed that I was learning that experience. I was learning this lesson in every single realm of life. I was learning right. in business and family right. with my son and friendships all at the same time. And, you know, and sometimes I would have a friend say, oh yeah, I knew she was taking advantage of you the whole time. Oh yeah, I knew you were giving her money. You'd right. never get that back. I knew you were getting scammed or I would have seen that, you know, then it was like, right. I just must be a total idiot. But really you just have to have that unveiled to you in your own due process. In your own time. Yeah. yeah. I, and, and I also think that it really comes down to what it all comes down to is we want to have connections with people. That's, and we're not good at it. We're not understanding, you know, how to have a good, healthy relationship, how to have a good, healthy connection with somebody else. So you think this is the way you do it, or you're just naively manipulated because you blindly care and you believe them. And that would happen a lot too. And a lot of times, you know, I come from a pretty messed up family and I was spent a lot of years lonely and longing for family and wishing this unity would exist. And then when I would have it presented to me, or offered to me in exchange for what I could give, I wanted it so desperately I would go the extra mile and give everything, give all I had because I wanted that. So I wanted the presence of family, whether it was a friend that was as family or, you know, the presence of my son around. I wanted it so bad. And finally I had to step back and say, I am making this mistake based on my need, not their error. Their error is going to keep coming, but my need is what's driving this because I need this connection. I need this to, you know, I'm making these bad decisions based on needing this, believing I need this relationship and believing this is what will make it work. And that's when you have to go deep into your motives and your inventory and see why you're doing it. Because you're giving too much of yourself. You're giving too much and they're not they're not compensating you. They're not giving you or giving of themselves into the relationship. It's really, you know, and I'm not a firm believer that all relationships need to be 50-50. I believe right. sometimes it's 90-10, sometimes it's 50-50, sometimes it's 30-70 or whatever. But the thing is, is when you're giving 99% and no, and they're not really giving much for a very long ex- extended period of time, then you're just giving too much of yourself. That's it too. Or when you start doing well because you've worked hard, and everybody comes to you with their late electric bill or their, you know, or that we need groceries. It's fine once in a while, but when you're realizing I'm paying everybody's bills, you know, and I've worked my way up out of that. um, And I never asked for that from anybody. I've done it my own. You know, that's when you're like, okay, you know, I don't want to look down on anybody, but I'm clearly being taken advantage of. And this is clearly their agenda. And they need, they're on their own journey to heal from that. But I got to get off of this. Right. Got to get off that. And that's that's what feeling sorry did for me is it launched me into effort and it launched me into shouldering people's loads and taking on their responsibilities. That was never mine. And you have to take it back to the root of what's your motive for feeling sorry for somebody and for acting on it. What's your motive? Right. I agree. We're in agreement once again. That's all I got. (laughs) That's all I got. (laughs) (laughs) Well, happy new year, everyone. We will be back next week coming up for air and it was good talking to you. Yep. Good talking to you. Bye, Annie. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for listening to this Coming Up for Air podcast with Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall. If you're interested in reading Annie's book, Unhooked, A Mother's Story of Unhitching from the Roller Coaster of Her Son's Addiction, it's available online, or you can simply follow the link at the bottom of one of Annie's blog posts on alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air is sponsored by Allies in Recovery, the online home for families facing the addiction of a loved one. Allies in Recovery can help you understand your loved one's struggle and offers effective communication strategies that encourage treatment and discourage use. In addition to interactive e-learning, Allies in Recovery offers expert advice, podcasts, tools for evaluating treatment options, recent news items, and access to a large community of families coping with issues similar to yours. Join alliesinrecovery.net today. That's alliesinrecovery, all one word, dot net. Thank you for listening. Our theme music was performed and composed by cellist Eric Corey.